So um, we are in this conversation um, for Lent uh, from the book of Lamentations. And the, the question that the whole book is really wrestling with, and particularly today... So we're in a conversation for Lent um, from the book of Lamentations. And, and the question that the whole book is really wrestling with, and particularly today, is, is when bad things happen, what can we do about it? Why do bad things happen? But more importantly, what can we do when bad things happen? So, so we saw last week, we looked at, we looked at um, one answer that people have, which is, which is um, bad things happen as the judgment of God on sin. That, that the, somehow or another, the person who did bad, uh, that bad things happened to, they did something bad and now God has judged them. And the good thing about that, the good thing about that explanation is that it gives you a solution. Okay, what do you do? Well, the books are now balanced. I did something wrong, God punished me, so now I just won't do that thing again. Problem solved, right? So that's the good thing about it. The, but, but, but there are bad things about it. We, we talked about some of them last week, um, that, that it's not, it, there are problems with that kind of simple solution to the problem. Um, I mentioned in our prayers, we talked about uh, uh, Lakin Riley, uh, uh, a young woman from Georgia. She went out for a run. Um, she's a college student. She went for a run. She was killed. They found her body, and they've now arrested a suspect. What did she do wrong? How is that judgment for her sin? Are we really going to go paw through her life and say, well, there you go, that's the sin. She's, you know, She was being judged for that sin. That That's a problem. Um, that, that, you know, are you going to find victims and say, well, it must have been, you know, the, the killer must have been God's instrument to, to exact judgment on that person. So there's problems with that. There's also problems like, um, yesterday there was a, there was an eight car, or there was a, there was a two car collision in California. Eight people were killed. Somebody driving a pickup truck went into the wrong lane and he killed seven people in a van in the, in the oncoming lane. Were they guilty of something? You know, all seven of them? Did, did they have equal guilt? Was like one of them slightly guilty and the other one really guilty? You know, the driver, was he guilty? You know, you get into problems. If you try to have just this simple, you know, the books are balanced, God has seen something wrong and God has now judged it. If you try to, if you try to impose that framework on, on, on the, the problems in the world, you, you quickly run into problems. And so what a lot of people do is they say, look, why do we have to assign blame? Bad things happen, you know. It's just, you know, get used to it. This is, you know, the, that's the way the world is. Stuff happens and then you die. And and so that is, that does solve the problem of, of um, you know, what happened, why did this girl get killed? Why did the people on, in that van get killed? Um, it solves that problem. You just say, well, there there is no reason. It just happens. But it doesn't let you do anything about it. So... So, you know, you, you, you have now resolved the, the tension on one side, but you're left with a new tension, which is, well, what am I supposed to do? You know, am I just supposed to live in fear that every time I get into my car, somebody's going to kill me? That every time I go for a run, um, somebody's going to kill me? How do, how do we resolve that tension? So it doesn't tell us what to do. You know, it says basically you better buy some insurance. And, and that's pretty much it. It doesn't give you any kind of a solution for what to do. Now, it, it may say, look, there's, there's, you know, for, for a particular problem, if somebody is, is going to kill you, you know, there can be, you know, p- 
police detectives and so forth, and they will figure out who did it. That person will be brought to justice, sure. For 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 a, a small things, a, a murder, um, a, a highway accident, you can say, okay, well, there's some kind of a, a mechanism to prevent that, to reduce the amount of that 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 happens. But what do you do about the big problems? You know, yesterday there was a there was a, a multi-car collision on the Glen Highway, and you know, are you going to say um, that? That, uh, that's just going to happen. Well, you know, it, it, there's, you know, are you going to try and actually assign blame? I mean, you know, that's the job of the police and I'm sure that they will decide who gets a ticket or not. But, but what about the one last month where there was 37 cars all, all, uh, blocking traffic on the Glen Highway because 37 cars collided in the fog? Are you going to go figure out for all 37, who's who's to blame? So so it makes sense that the bigger the bigger something is, the harder it is to assign blame. So particularly for for big problems, um, it makes sense. You know, if you're living in an apartment in in Gaza and it's destroyed, or for that matter, in Kiev and it's destroyed by a zo- by by a drone, you know, it makes sense. You say, well, look, bad things happen. We're not going to figure out who's at fault. I mean, you know, the people who manufactured the drone, the people who operated it. Vladimir Putin, you know, how, are, are you going to go through and actually try and figure out who's at fault? So it makes sense. The bigger the problem, sometimes it's just tempting to say, well, there is no reason. It just happened. Bad things happen because that's the way the world is. Stuff happens. The problem with that is that, I mean, the problem, as I mentioned, is that if, if, if that is your solution, if you say bad things just happen, then it doesn't give you any way of dealing with it except take out insurance. There's there's nothing you can do to prevent it. It just will happen or not. It's bad luck. You know, there's there's no solution. And if you're an atheist, if you're an agnostic, if you don't know what you believe about God, that's your only choice. You know, make sure that you've got your policies up to date. But most people through history and most people living today uh, don't like that idea. They don't like the idea that there's no... There's no solution. And most people say, well, there, there must be a solution, that there must be a divine solution to that problem. There must be somebody who's, who's in charge of the world and that I can appeal to. And since we are Christians, that includes us. We believe that God is in charge. And when we say things are random, when bad things just happen, then we're, we're making God out to be powerless or incompetent. You know, God's saying, oh, you know, I tried really hard to do something about the fog on the Glen Highway, but sorry, I couldn't. It defeated me. You know, that's not a, that's not a, that's not an image we like. You know, that's no better than having randomness. Uh, or, or God being incompetent. It's like, what? There's a war going on in Gaza? Why didn't somebody tell me? You know, so, so, so we have this situation where as people of faith, we, we don't like the idea that things just happen. And, and that's what we see in our reading today in Lamentations 2. It is probably the strongest place in the Bible in terms of the language it uses uh, to reject the notion that bad things just happen. So if you, if you look at the language here, I'm going to, I have a cheat sheet with it all highlighted. So um, if you look at the language, um, of, of what's being uh, described here. So so look at verse 1. In anger, my Lord put daughter Zion under a cloud. He threw Israel's glory down. On that day of wrath, 
He didn't consider his own footstool, the temple, the, the place where God's, God rests his feet. You know, God is in heaven and the temple is his footstool. He didn't even consider his temple. Showing no compassion, he devoured uh, Jacob's meadows, the, the, the pasture land around um, Israel. In, in his wrath, he tore down the walled cities. He forced the kingdom and its officials to the ground. Verse 3, in his burning rage, he cut off each of Israel's horns. Uh, horns, in an agricultural society, you don't have machines, so the strongest thing around is a, is a, is an ox, probably. So, so the horn became a symbol of, of power, and he cut off all of Israel's power, and, um, he burned against Jacob like a flaming fire. He bent his bow as an enemy would. God acted like an enemy. He poured out his wrath, verse 5, like an enemy. So it utterly rejects the idea of bad things just happened. Yes, it's true. The Babylonians came to Jerusalem. They conquered. They, they, you know, had a blood fury afterwards. They, the people died during the siege. Yes, the Babylonians did all that and God did it. They know that yes, it was the Babylonians who did it, but they reject the idea that this, the Babylonians are just loose in the world and you never know what's going to happen. It's like, no, God did this, God did this, God did this, God did this, God did this. Over and over and over again, the writer could not be more clear that this is God's work. Look in verse 6, he wrecked his own booth. Verse 7, he rejected his altar. And then in verse 8 it says, and he did it deliberately. He planned this out. The Lord planned to destroy daughter Zion's wall. This wasn't just a fit of anger. This was God acting premeditatedly. God thought this through and then acted. He stretched out a measuring line. He drew up blueprints. Exactly how this was going to unfold. The writer rejects any notion that, that this is, this is just because God was busy elsewhere or, or God didn't have the, the sufficient juice to keep it from happening. No, this was God's work. And then in verse 11, my eyes are worn out. My stomach is churning. God did this and it makes me sick. My insides are poured on the ground because the daughter of my people is shattered. Because babies are fainting. Their lives are draining away at their own mother's breast, verse 12. They're dying in their mother's laps. And it makes me sick. The writer of the book of Lamentations rejects the idea that things happen at random. The writer says, God is not powerless. God is not incompetent. God is purposeful. So the first point in the, in the program, if you're following along, God is not powerless. God is purposeful. And that's still true. You know, whatever truth there was in it 2,600 years ago is still true today. God is not powerless. God is purposeful. And so it raises the question for us, what 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 is that purpose we can we can wonder about that what we see is that the writer is even less concerned about sin and judgment here than in chapter 1 he was hardly concerned in in chapter 1 and in in chapter 2 he only mentions sin once as we'll see 
it's just not of interest to him what God's purpose is. But he is utterly convinced that it is God's purpose that is at work here. God has planned this out, and now God has done it. So, so God is powerful and purposeful. But, but that's answering the why question. And, and it's, it's, it's a, it, you know, maybe provides some, some comfort or something, but really who cares about the why? The question is, okay, now what? When something happens, when you get that phone call at 2 a.m., when you're in the doctor's office and you get the diagnosis, who really cares about the why? The question is, okay, now what? And as we see, that is the question that the writer deals with next. He says, what can I testify about you, daughter Jerusalem? To what could I compare you? With what could I equate you? How can I comfort you? How can I comfort you? Your hurt is as vast as the sea. Who can heal you? It's just too much. It's overwhelming. It makes me sick. Who can heal you? I can't do it. Well, what about your prophets? Well, the prophets are part of the problem. The prophets didn't give you a warning. Their job was to was to be lookouts and let you know this is coming, and they didn't. Your prophets gave you worthless and empty visions. They didn't reveal your sin. This is the only place in the whole chapter where the word sin appears. They didn't reveal your sin. Instead, they showed you worthless and incorrect prophecies. They weren't. They were useless. If anything, they're part of the problem. They're not going to help you. What about strangers? What about your neighbors? What about people walking by? Is there any hope for a good Samaritan? It says, all who pass by on the roads clap their hands about you. They whistle, shaking their heads at daughter Jerusalem. Could this be the city called, could this be the city called perfect beauty, the joy of all the earth? Essentially, they shake their head. They say, sucks to be you. They're not going to be any help. And then that leaves us with the enemies. What about the enemies? The enemies aren't going to help you. They're glad. They did this. They're grinning. They're smiling. They love to see what they've done. They whistle, grinding their teeth. They say, we've devoured. This is definitely the day we've been waiting for. We've seen it come to pass. There's nobody who can help you. Your your hurt is too vast. Except, except there is one. It says the Lord was able to do this. The Lord is powerful. The Lord does act with purpose. The Lord did what he planned. He accomplished the word he had commanded long ago. He ripped down showing no compassion. He made the enemy rejoice over you. He raised up your adversary's horns. But he did it. He was able to do what he purposed to do. Out of all the people in this picture, the only one who is capable of solving the problem of dealing with you now is God. That if God has the power to to work evil in the world, to bring about evil, then God also has the power to do good. That God has the power and has the intentionality. Things don't happen by accident. So, not only that, God does it because he cares, right? If God was indifferent, he wouldn't do anything. You know, there, there's a, a, a philosophy that, that God wound up the world, you know, kind of like a, a clock, and then 
went off and had a vacation somewhere. If God is acting in the world, it's because he cares. He cares about the world. Otherwise, he would be off on vacation. So the fact, the, the idea that God is at work in the world itself says God cares about what's going on. And so um, the second point, God is, is faithful. Um, God can do what he promises. He's trustworthy. If he says he's going to do it, however bad or good it may be, he can do it. And he does it because he's not indifferent. So, so the writer considers this, and then he says, okay, you know, I don't necessarily like it, but I know what that leads us to. He says, cry out to the, to God. Cry out to my Lord from the heart, you daughter Zion, make your tears run, don't relax at all, get up and cry out, pour out your heart like uh, water, lift up your hands to him for the life of your children, the ones who are fainting from hunger on every street corner. He says, make a scene. Be obnoxious. Cry out to God. See if you can somehow move him to pity. And what's interesting is that's not what Zion does. Zion, verse 20, Zion responds, and it's almost, you can almost see the gritted teeth, the, the shaking fist. Zion says, Lord, look and see to whom you have done this. The, the, the done is a very weak word. A better translation would be, um, look and see to whom you have done violence, that you inflicted hurt. Look and see who you did it on. Should women eat their own offspring? Should you, th- their children have died and now you're driving them to cannibalism? Is that right? How can that be right? Should priest and prophet, your own servants, doing the work that you ordained when you gave the law at Mount Sinai, should they be killed in your sanctuary? Can you not even protect the people doing your work in your sanctuary? Look at this mess, Lord. Young and old alike lie on the ground in the streets. My young women and my young men fall dead by the swords. And you did this. On the day of your anger, you killed, you slaughtered, showing no compassion. You invited people in as if it was a feast these terrors that came from all around. So Zion responds to the the the, the writer, the, the observer. Says, okay, you make a persuasive case. God is capable of doing something about this, and no one else is. But I have a bone to pick with God. I can't believe that this is right. I cannot believe that what God has done is right. And as I mentioned to the children, it's okay if you're angry at God because he knows. You know, it does no good to pray to God, try to put a happy smile on your face and pretend everything's okay for the duration of my prayer. Instead, Zion is open and honest and transparent with God. Look at what you've done. But the other thing Zion does is Zion puts the problem back in God's court. Zion says, okay, you did what you meant to. You've achieved your purpose. Now what? Where do we go from here? Zion puts the ball back in God's court. It says, okay, you've got the power to destroy. Do you have the power to redeem? Are you willing 
to do something about this this horror that you have created. And that's where the writer drops the matter. Now, as we continue in our Lenten journey, you know, I can look ahead and tell you that when we, when we arrive at the cross, we see that God can and does something about the troubles in our world. But the writer here wants us to stop short of that. Wants us just to consider if God permits the worst thing to happen to us, the worst thing we can imagine, is it just an accident? Was it because God had no control over that? God didn't know why your body malfunctioned that way? God didn't know about that other driver? The writer says, no, God knew. And these things happen because God, maybe because God permitted it, maybe because God has some particular thing he's trying to do. But if he has that capability, he has the ability to bring good out of it. And he may have a particular good purpose of his own. So he says, go to God. It's okay to be angry. You can say, look, I wanted to see my grandchildren grow up. And I guess I won't. It's okay to be angry. But to go to God and say, all right, ball's in your court, now what? Let's pray. Father in heaven, I think those of us whose lives have been relatively easy have the most trouble with the idea that you move in this world with power and purpose. And it's only when something bad happens that we have to explore the possibility that you actually permit bad things to happen. Lord, help us to wrestle with this, to believe that somehow in the midst of all of the problems in this world, that you can do more than oversee the world going to hell, but you can actually act in a way to save it from hell. Lord, help us to be transparent in our prayer life and help us to be honest, even in our troubles, to know that you are faithful and you are powerful. And there is no one else to whom we can turn in good or in bad. We pray this to Christ our Lord. Amen.